Well, as we uh, journey through the Word, um, we are in um, a verse-by-verse, line-by-line study uh, of the book of 1 Timothy. And when we study the Scriptures that way, there's a variety of ways you can study the Word of God. Um, Preaching-wise, we oftentimes will study a book from beginning to end, kind of verse-by-verse, line-by-line. That may be a new form of study for some of you, others of you. That's your preference, and you love it when we do that and all of that. But um, one of the things in studying the Word of God this way is that it causes us to examine some things that we might not choose to look at otherwise. There are difficult passages to understand, topics that are not uh, perhaps the most appealing Uh, that maybe I wouldn't choose to study if we were doing just a study of the Word topically. And uh, so we recognize these are good things because the full counsel of the Lord is important and profitable. Amen? All of the Word of God. And uh, working through hard passages makes us stronger as a church family. In matters of conviction and of conscience and so on, it uh, grows us together in Christ. And so with the Spirit's help, we learn and grow through our study of the Word of God. Now, once in a while, a topic uh, comes to hand in doing a verse-by-verse, line-by-line kind of study of a book of the Bible that uh, is a bit awkward, quite honestly, for me to talk about. And uh, if you haven't read today's text prior to our time of study, you'll find out what I'm talking about in a moment when we get there, all right? Um, But let's, uh, let's bow our heads and pray and ask for the Lord to give us wisdom as we turn to His Word today. Father, we are grateful that you have revealed yourself to us uh, through the written word. You have revealed yourself to us through the living word, your son, Jesus, whom you sent to live among us and to die, to be that once and for all sacrifice for our sin, that you raised him from the dead, Lord, that uh, in that we have life. And we're so grateful um, that you are a God who, almighty, all-powerful, created all things, Lord, yet you are not just out there, Um, Lord, you are right here, and uh, you are a personal God who desires to have a personal, daily relationship with us in the midst of every facet of life. We're grateful for that. So, Lord, may the long-term health of this body be built up by another Sunday where we walk carefully through a text of Scripture as guided by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I'll make a disclaimer here today, or at least a note of awareness for you, that as we spend time in the Word today, you're going to walk out of here knowing more about our leadership structure, how we function, how our even our movement of churches that we call the Evangelical Free Church of America functions you're going to walk out of here knowing more about those things than maybe you care to know. Uh, but I want, you, uh, I want to be transparent with you for your understanding. So if nothing else, you can walk out and go, man, at, at least you know, we know these things. Um, for some of you, you might walk out and go, man, that helps me you know, gain uh, trust or whatever it might be. We, just, we want to be transparent with you today. I, I want you to know some things and... Uh, And maybe, if nothing else, it's knowledge for knowledge's sake. If you want to go deeper in some of these things, I'd be happy to get you a copy of our church constitution for some, you know, bedtime reading. You know, it would be great for you for you to just read a few pages every night before you go to bed, um, put you right to sleep, all right? So... um, so if you want to know more, we can, but we just, we want, to, we want to reveal some things and share some things, be honest with you today in what this text draws forward. And uh, this is because what Paul does in this passage of scripture is he takes us into a deep dive of talking about specifics of the local church, specifically its leadership. In chapter three, we discuss the spiritual maturity and qualities that are to be evident of a man serving as an elder, right? The fruit of his life that is to be evident, that leads one to conclude, yes, he is qualified to serve in the position of elder. Now, we noted the role of an elder is to be really kind of encapsulating three things. There's three different dynamics, if you will, of what the role of an elder entails. First of all, the role of overseer, right? We talked about that indicating responsibility and authority. In God's design, that role of elder is an overseer. 
there's great responsibility with that. There's uh, a humility and the authority that is granted to that. And so overseer. Uh, the other is uh, grounded in the term we use most often around here is the term elder. In the scriptures, that term is meant to display spiritual maturity. Not necessarily defined by age, although that word is at times used in the scripture to speak specifically of age, right? Those older in life. But here, it more in general, it speaks to the spiritual maturity of one's life. Timothy himself was a young man whom God gifted and, and um, Paul established as a leader at the church in Ephesus. And so it's not age defined, but it is spiritually mature men. Those able to model and guide in godliness. Men who, in a sense, represent God well. As we have talked about godliness, what is godliness? As you read in the scripture, it's, it's representing God. That which represents him, right? So elders are men able to do that by the way they live. And the third element of what we mean by the role of elder is shepherd pastor. Uh, the element of caring, of leadership in the body of Christ, just as a shepherd guides the sheep, uh, there's a sense of responsibility of a elder or pastor to guide and shepherd the people whom God has entrusted in their care. So in our context, meaning crossroads, we have both vocational elders and uh, volunteer elders, right? The vocational or paid elders are those responsible for the daily and weekly aspects of our ministry. We refer to these elders as pastors. Elders, pastors, the role is, the, the title is synonymous in the scriptures. We see that throughout. And uh, so for matters of leadership and functionality, there is a bit of a difference in the role of pastor and elder as we see here, but biblically they are synonymous. Uh, pastors are considered part of our staff team and our leaders among our staff team. However, as a safeguard in matters of accountability and oversight, our pastors are not considered part of our full elder team, except for the role of senior pastor, who constitutionally is part of our full elder team. So to make it simple, let me just break it down this way. Our pastors are always welcome in conversations of our full elder team to give their insight, to give their input, but when it comes down to certain matters and some decisions, only the senior pastor participates along with the full elder team. So maybe there's a question in your mind right now. What do you mean by full elder team? Great question, right? Uh, we not only have pastors who are those paid elders, but we also have a team of volunteer or lay elders, men whom you have affirmed fit uh, with the biblical qualifications and that you have commissioned to serve among you in this role. That's what happens next week at our congregational meeting. Uh, these men graciously give their time and energy to the responsibilities of oversight and guiding and modeling and care and leadership, and uh, grateful for these men. Right now we have seven men who serve as uh, volunteer elders among you, and uh, grateful for each one of them. So, again, the pastors... Uh, serve vocationally, meaning this is their job. There's four of us, three that are full-time. There is one that is part-time. And uh, by the way, I see Colin over here, Colin Gloria. Colin retires next June, right, the end of June. So we're going to celebrate, is it 46 years of ministry? Did I, get, did I remember that right? Something along that line. And uh, as a pastor. And um, so grateful for the wisdom and insight that he provides. So our pastors um, who get the blessing of serving among you and receive a paycheck, right? Uh, our means of living. Uh, that's what we mean by pastor here. Uh, our pastors are elders, um, and they are paid. And uh, so we're grateful for that. Uh, our elders volunteer. They do not receive even a stipend for doing so. They serve a three-year term, and uh, then they have at least a year off depending on how the Lord leads them, um, and uh, before they are reaffirmed by you, if they would choose to come back on the team. And this is a good thing, this three-year term, and it is also a challenge, uh, particularly from my seat as the one who serves consistently as an elder, a vocational uh, elder, um, because we kind of have this uh, rotation 
of men that serve as an elder, and at times the consistency element is difficult with that. But this helps ensure a few things. First of all, it helps ensure that the elder team does not become stagnant and full of lifers, okay? Um, Nor does the elder team become a group of good old boys that somehow come to think they lorded over the church family are not accountable, okay? Um, It also helps ensure that uh, they don't become just a group of yes men to the senior pastor. Um, so I'm thankful for the way in which uh, our, our church was established uh, years ago in this regard, and uh, it is a good thing. Uh, I'm thankful for several men who have served faithfully over the years, uh, consistently in, in three-year terms. I'm also thankful that we have had several different men who have served as elders among us. So in my 14 years, as I was thinking, I didn't, don't quote me on this because I didn't go back and check, but I just in thinking through the men who have served over the course of that time, and I, I, I would say um, we've had probably 20 uh, unique individuals uh, serving on teams of six or eight uh, over the course uh, of that time. Now, constitutionally, we can have as many as 12 elders. Um, Typically, our teams range anywhere from six to eight uh, men serving in that role. Uh, We've approached uh, several uh, men along the way, and I'm grateful that within our body of believers, God has led men here who we sense are qualified to fill this role. And as we've had conversation with them, they just have not sensed the Lord uh, leading them uh, to that responsibility. Um, And uh, we respect that. And so uh, it's always a, a wonderful conversation in that regard. Um, So we've had uh, probably 20 or so men who have served on that team uh, over the last uh, several years. And I will say this to you, right, as we talk through this, that if you are a man within our body uh, and you sense the Spirit leading you to possibly serve as an elder among us, uh, let us know. That's always a great conversation. We believe wholeheartedly in what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Um, that if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Um, And so we recognize it's not only those whom we would identify uh, among us, but realizing if you're sensing that leading of the Lord, have conversation with us, and we'll join together in prayer and consideration of that together. We've had other men who we've approached, and it's really like, boy, uh, you know, in the whole matter of elders and deacons and, and what role we fill. And remember, in the midst of this whole conversation, Every member of the body, every, everybody say every member. Every Every member, right? And I'm not talking just formal members. I'm talking every person who participates in the body of Christ here at Crossroads, you are extremely important to the work of God, right? So being an elder is not some kind of ultimate uh, thing you ascend to, right? That's not the point. Um, it's, it's the fact that God has established certain manners of roles and, and order within the body of Christ, and we simply... Uh, seek to honor that, just as we've seen that from the beginning, right? Genesis 1, God establishes that order and design. We see it present in marriage. We see it present uh, in the body of Christ. And so, um, so why is all this important? Well, the Apostle Paul is addressing how we relate to one another as the family of God. Uh, he's talking about how we care for and honor one another. Last week, we talked specifically about widows. The first part of Chapter 5 is is specifically about caring for widows. Now Paul goes into the care of and honor of elders. Verse 17, he says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So, Let elders who rule well. Elders, we've already established, we've reviewed the various aspects of the role we call elder, uh, overseer, example of spiritual maturity, shepherd, uh, pastor, right? And uh, and the distinguishment of and yet similarity of pastors and elders for us. So let elders who rule well. The words rule well are from the Greek word, which means to influence others, to influence them toward uh, uh, following a recommended course of action to guide, to direct, to lead. That goes right along with what we've talked about as the role of elders. So let those, honor those who lead well, who rule well. Paul speaks of this in other contexts as well in the scriptures. To his letter to the church of Thessalonica, 
which we call 1 Thessalonians. In chapter 5, verse 12, Paul says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you, right? those who are in it with you and are over you. That word translated and are over you is the same word as rule in 1 Timothy. Uh, So we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you or instruct you. So uh, we see this this theme throughout the scriptures of of honoring those whom we have placed in the position of elder and to do that faithfully as they serve you faithfully. So when it says there, if an elder can uh, uh, honor those who rule well, if an elder can rule well, It also means an elder can rule not well, right? Uh, And there are references of that in the scripture too. In fact, that's part of the issue in this letter that Paul is writing to Timothy. There were elders who were not serving well. They were not guarding the doctrine of the church. They were permitting and allowing teaching of certain things that were not in accordance with uh, God. And so uh, we understand um, that that is true too. And in Scripture, we have examples of elders who serve in a kind of selfish, domineering spirit. Uh, friends, the Word of God teaches us that leaders within the church are to be servant leaders. They are to model the humility and the meekness of Christ as well as, as they serve, right? And so uh, we'll get into matters of accountability in a bit. But let me, let me say two things about what leading well or ruling well, what it does not mean. So ruling well uh, does not mean leading perfectly, okay? Does not mean leading perfectly. Elders and pastors, friends, listen, uh, we battle temptation and sin just like you, right? Uh, We will make mistakes. We're not perfect people. And so may we not have that measure of expectation within the body, whether intentional or unintentional, right, to place some kind of manner of perfection upon those who serve in leadership. Leading well also does not mean that you will agree with uh, 100% of the decisions made, right? Uh, You put two people in a room and you won't agree at 100% of the time, let alone a mass of people. And so we realize leading well does not mean that we have 100% agreement on every uh, decision. And those, of course, being disagreements that are not uh, a sin issue, right? We're not talking about right and wrong things in regards to sin and righteousness. We're talking about just matters of whether it's organizational pieces or whatever it might be that, that we're not going to have 100% agreement on everything. Um, and so Leading well is defined by uh, the fact that elders are to be a godly example. They are to be mature uh, spiritually in life in a way that guides well and then leads well in matters of discernment. Um, An elder is to be one who cares well or loves sacrificially and shepherds the people well. That's what it means by ruling or leading well. So, Paul says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Double honor. What's he getting at? Well, we've noted last week that this theme of honor is extremely important in the scriptures. I've been, the last couple of years, just a bit taken by uh, how the scripture speaks of the way in which we are to honor one another. Uh, Early on in our parenting, Kelly and I... uh, we're, we're taught, uh, uh, you know, as parents, how to honor your children, right? This has been something that in my life has, has, has always bubbled to the surface in some way. So let me, let me uh, uh, show you how the scripture speaks of honor even in a greater sense. And again, honor meaning to show respect or to show appreciation or uh, to even promote others before yourself. Last week, we talked about Romans 12.10, which simply says to outdo one another in showing honor. I mean, just, just let that play out in your mind for a moment. As, as, a, as a family here of, of followers of Jesus, what would it look like for us to, to pursue relationship with one another in a way that we are seeking to outdo one another in showing honor? How powerful is that, right? Uh, Timothy, or excuse me, Peter 
who in First Peter is addressing a uh, you know the the Jews who have been dispersed from Jerusalem because of persecution. Uh, note that that's a really important backdrop to his comment that he makes about honor. Ready, First Peter chapter two verse seventeen. He says to these Jews, right, honor everyone. Everybody say everyone. Everyone, Everyone, right? Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. You ready? Honor the emperor. He's saying that to people who are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, honor the emperor. So, I liken it to this, perhaps the illustration helps you as well, is that, you know, restaurants tend to be known for something. A certain plate that they make, sometimes they'll highlight on a menu, this is what we're known for in the area or whatever, you know. We might say to one, recommend a restaurant because we'll say to the boy, they, got, they have great ribs, you know. I mean, that's kind of what they're known for. Friends, listen, honor is to be one of the things that the church, right, followers of Jesus Honors to be one of those things that we are known for. It ought to be a staple, if you will. When people think about the church and as they reflect on what church is, observing the ministry of Crossroads, honor should be one of those things that comes to the forefront of their mind. They may not use that word, right? But what they're saying is, boy, those people treat one another well. They treat everyone. They even honor the emperor who they may not find themselves exactly in alignment with, right? Honor. Why? Because every person is created in the image of God. Everyone bears the image of God. Everyone is deserving of that sense of respect and honor because of who we are created by God. The word honor means to demonstrate value. We spoke last week in regards to widows that even at times will uh, provide, mean that we, we provide financial aid or assistance when necessary, uh, that you help someone in that way. So when Paul says to uh, show the elders double honor, what's he getting at? Well, honor is already expected. Honor is already anticipated among the people of God. So to show them double honor means to just go like, man... These guys serve among us in a certain way that that is worthy of of certain honor, right? Um, And how do we do this at Crossroads? Well, uh, by means of the financial aspect of it, maybe you've wondered from time to time, like, how does this work, right? How do do our pastors get paid, and how how does it determine what they get paid? So uh, you need to know, like, there's there's a team of unpaid elders, of a team of our volunteer elders who... The full elder team has designated. Right now, it's a team of three. We would like to make that a team of five. Uh, these, uh, this team is, is made up of current and, and some who are not currently serving as elders, but who have served as elders, uh, who, who determine specifically the salaries and benefits of our paid elders and pastors. Uh, and they do so by utilizing some objective measures both from a kind of a national standpoint, resources that are available, as well as local uh, kind of input into that. And so we take that together. It's a binder about this thick of things that we consider in regards of how we develop a pay matrix. And, uh, and then um, the, those uh, unpaid elders establish the salaries for the others. Um, and so that's how that works, uh, if you've been curious. Now you know, right? Um, and so... He says that they're worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Um, and again, that's the part that's a bit awkward for me to mention just because that's primarily my role. And we have others who uh, teach and, and preach at times as well. But, but why double honor? Because there's a sense there where there's a greater accountability as well. I am fully aware every time I step before you and the opportunities that I have to preach and our other pastors are as well, elders are as well, that, that what we share with you, of our understanding of the word of God, of what God has revealed to us uh, for as his people, um, we will give an account for that. And the scripture speaks to the fact there is a greater accountability uh, for ones who, who preach and teach. Um, so it's fitting with that. But even though Paul did not make uh, money for his ministry, he references 
uh, a few different times in the word. Paul did not receive financial uh, means for his ministry among the people. He certainly advocates for it, and he states it as a good thing. Uh, Paul was not even bivocational. He didn't receive some money from believers and, and then work elsewhere. And he worked as a tent maker. That was his occupation. That was how he provided for himself. Um, but he doesn't promote that as the norm. Paul seems to indicate that it is important for local church bodies to pay uh, those who preach and teach and, and those who lead and shepherd. So grateful that we have the ability here as a church body to have uh, three full-time and one part-time pastoral staff, those who are paid to uh, care for the daily aspects of the ministry and to help minister among you and care for you and, and organize and equip um, God's people for the work of the ministry, as Ephesians 4 speaks of. Um, so thank you for uh, your generosity and your give your mindfulness of that in, in how you handle your resources and what you give toward. And we've said before, the end of the year is always a time you get bombarded with requests and things like that. So, um, you know, we're just mindful of those things. Um, so Paul speaks of that in regards to honoring elders. Verse 18, he draws in a couple of teachings from Deuteronomy. Uh, uh, don't muzzle an ox, right? Uh, and a laborer deserves his wages. Some Old Testament references, um, a laborer deserves his wages. There's also a few different New Testament passages that um, perhaps he's reflecting upon with that. But uh, but that's just example, like uh, don't muzzle an ox, meaning, hey, if you have an ox that is treading out the, the grain and grinding that up, don't muzzle him. Let, let the ox appreciate and enjoy uh, some of what uh, is the fruit of their work. Um, so here's the point that we can draw together and be sure to honor elders who exhibit godliness and lead well. I think that's what it boils down to, right? As a church, be sure to, to honor elders who exhibit godliness and lead well. Uh, and I will tell you, I am so grateful for the men who have served as elders in this body over the years. Again, in my 14 years, there's been, you know, uh, even 20 or so who have served and I'm grateful that I can tell you that, that the men who have served in that role uh, are not perfect men, right? Again, that's not the expectation, but they are men who humbly and gratefully serve among you and who treat that responsibility in high regard, um, and, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, so what are some ways we can honor elders? Uh, number one, honor elders by acknowledging their faithful service in a variety of ways, not just financially as we do with some, but it could be writing cards. It could be verbal comments of appreciation. It could be inviting an elder and their family over to your place for dinner or out for lunch, whatever it might be, just to express the appreciation that you have uh, for their willingness to serve in that role. Honor them in that way. Second of all, honor elders by intentionally pursuing a godly life. Uh, we spoke a couple of weeks ago of what Paul says to train yourself for godliness, to be on that pursuit. I will tell you, there is no greater joy than I have than to see you following Christ with your life. Um, and uh, there is a joy in that. Um, Hebrews 13, 17, um, the author of Hebrews, not totally sure who that is or convinced who the author was, but this is what they say. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Elders who lead well will be leading you toward godliness, right? They obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And that's that sobering and humbling reality of accountability. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you, right? So obviously, whoever authored Hebrews, it was written by a person who knows local church ministry, uh, and, and he encourages uh, the believers to live in such a way that elders can serve in their role with joy and not with groaning. It's maybe like this, if this helps you. Uh, if you've graduated from high school, you maybe have gone back over your school yearbooks, and, and as you're looking through faces, there are some faces you look at and you smile. They bring joy to your memory of high school. There may be some other faces you look at and just kind of, you know, let's, let's turn the page, right? Um, it's, it's maybe like that. Uh, follow Christ. Be on that path. 
of, of pursuing godliness in your life. And in that, there is great joy to, to be on that journey together. And, and it truly is a joy. This is how Paul says it to the church in Thessalonica. And again, in his letter to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse 12 through 14, this won't be on the screen for you, but just listen. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, teach you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. You see this beauty of, uh, of the fellowship of, as God has designed it, the church, is to be this beauty of, 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 of joining together of hearts, right? Yes, some have leadership roles, but, but uh, you know, we need that, right? We need that to, to, to be orderly and so on and to, to have a structure of leadership, but, but also like we're in this together. And so brothers, like, admonish one another, encourage one another, help the weak, be patient with them all, like, like that. That's to be the tone of the fellowship of the body of Christ. And so we address matters of sin, yes, and there are times where church discipline is needed, but there is no joy or, or pleasure in those things, right? So, so to bring, to honor elders, like, yeah, pursue godliness in your life. And as we follow together in that journey, we, we find great joy. In that together. Uh, and let me just speak um, to this at this point right now is that we know, like, this is not a place of perfect people, right? Um, this is not a place of perfect people. This is a place where we worship a perfect Savior. And so the scripture calls us to confess our sins to one another. And in and, and realizing we all battle sin, right? And we're all in pursuit of, of honoring Christ in our life and, and pursuing godliness. And in that battle of sin, we want to take this. So we, we confess sin to one another. We repent. We, we embrace God's forgiveness. Uh, and we press on. That, that's really the tone, I think, of, of the scriptures, of how we are to, to handle sin among us, is that we confess it. We're honest with it. We, should, we ought not be surprised when a brother or sister confesses sin, right? I mean, it's present in each of us. And we confess it. We deal with it. We call it what it is. And, and we, we pursue repentance together to turn from that. We embrace God's forgiveness. And I'll take every opportunity I can to confront what I think is, is one of a harmful lie in regards to forgiveness is that we hear at times like, well, man, if I could just forgive myself. I, I, I present this challenge to you honestly. Like if you can show me in the scripture where we are, we are told that we are to forgive ourselves, uh, I, would, I, would, I want to have conversation with you. I don't see it. But I, what I see is as a body of believers, what we are called to do is to encourage one another to live in the grace and mercy of Almighty God, and we are to learn to embrace His forgiveness toward us. And therefore, we live with peace and with rest in our soul, not when somehow we can manufacture how to forgive ourselves. No, I, I look at God, I call my sin what it is, and I embrace His forgiveness toward me. And when we embrace that forgiveness, friend, listen, then, then we move on and we press on together, amen? We don't live in the shame and guilt that our sin and our enemy would love to keep us trapped in. We press on and pursue godliness. The word tells us in John that Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. He wasn't 50% grace and 50% truth. He was full of grace and full of truth. And may that be our heart with one another in pursuing Christ and godliness. Amen? Full of grace and full of truth. Not excusing sin, not letting sin be acceptable, but not looking for sin around every corner. Right? Full of grace. Patient with one another. Help the weak. Encourage the faint-hearted. Verse 19, let's continue. 
Paul goes on to say, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. A third way of honoring elders, I think, is by guarding their reputation. Guarding their reputation. The element of two or three witnesses is not unique to elders. That's something that is spoken of elsewhere in scriptures as a common practice of wisdom. Note here, please, Paul doesn't say don't ever admit a charge against an elder. He says the charge is to be substantiated by others. And so in private matters and so on, uh, they are to be pursued, investigated to see if there is substantiated. If not, then um, don't entertain it. The bottom line is this. Elders are accountable, first to Christ as ones who give an account, second to the congregation. So don't let this passage somehow make you think that elders are high and mighty or untouchables to not be held accountable. He's just saying don't entertain unsubstantiated claims of people who may just have it out for an elder, right? Guard the reputation among one another. Accountability. This is why the process of selecting elders is so critical. Determining who is qualified to serve, it's not a popularity contest. Um, it's not those who prove themselves successful in the eyes of the world. In other words, just because someone is a successful businessman does not mean he would make a good elder. Right? There is, needs to be proven character and godliness. That is the primary focus. So maybe you've had this question, and I'll just... I'm just going to ask it for you today, and if you've never asked it, I'm going to put it in your mind because you need to know the answer. And the question is this, if, if you have a concern over one of our pastors or elders, who do you go to? Who do you go to? If you have a concern, maybe something you've observed, whatever it might be, something you heard, who are you to go to? Well, here's how I would answer that is to remember, first of all, those who serve as elders among us and pastors. They are, first of all, your brother in Christ. And so let's treat them as such. And according to Matthew 18, what's, what's the plan? If someone sins against you or you have something you are concerned about in regards to a brother or sister, what are we supposed to do? We, we don't go share with others and get our little posse together, right? No, we, we go to them individually, privately, and speak to them about it. We've talked before about a method you could utilize if it's helpful, the OIC method of you go and say, here's what I have observed, here's what this means to me, or my interpretation of that. Can you clarify for me? Right? You're inviting their input into the conversation. And depending on how that goes, Matthew 18 tells us to then take one or two others with you. And we do want to be careful in the role of an elder Again, guarding the reputation, perhaps it's uh, taking another elder with you instead of other church members, whatever it might be, um, but you go and address it a second time, and if it's still not resolved, then tell it to the church or bring the full elder team into the conversation. The goal of Matthew 18 in that process is always restoration. It's always the glory of God, never shame or embarrassment. Of others. Sometimes you hear this phrase that pastors or elders are to be held to a higher standard. Uh, here's one thing I would like to respond to that with is that the answer to that is no, we're not. We are all held to the same standard, right? The same standard of godliness. Whether you serve in capacity of an elder or not, the standard of a Christ follower is to honor Christ first and foremost in your life. That's the standard. Now, there may be a difference in a manner of accountability as we stand before God one day. We give greater accountability, and however God will establish that, yes. But pastors and elders are not to be held to a higher standard. The standard is the same for every follower of Christ. Um, I'm thankful that in our 
Association of Churches, the Evangelical Free Church of America, which we belong to and participate in, that we have what's called a board of ministerial standing. My ordination, any of our licensing among our pastors and so forth is, is held by this board of ministerial standing, and there's accountability to them, uh, and they are available to help local churches who perhaps have issues with a pastor um, who is accredited, and, um, and uh, that's helpful to know that that's the case. Uh, so all of this, just to, again, I told you we were going to talk about some things you may be thankful to hear, other things you may be like, okay, that's good to know, but don't really need to think about that again. But just to know there's accountability. Um, and Paul says after addressing sin, right, um, when there is accusation that is substantiated, he says, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that they may rest, um, uh, so the rest may stand in fear. So as, as for those who persist in sin, if there's an accusation against an elder, it's found credible, it's addressed, the elder persists in that sin, rebuke them, Paul says, in the presence of all so that they may, the rest may stand in fear. That's part of that greater sense of accountability. Uh, not only are elders, pastors to be examples in pursuit of godliness, but they are to be also be examples in uh, discipline of sin. And uh, again, not out of shame, um, but out of the pursuit of honoring Christ above all else. Verse uh, 21, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. I think this goes back to verses 19 and 20. Don't show partiality to elders just because they're elders. Don't prejudge, right? Don't make an early, unsubstantiated judgment against them because of what someone has said. Uh, neither show partiality by ignoring substantiated claims. What Paul is saying, don't prejudge, don't show partiality to them. That's very important. So a fourth way of honoring elders is to honor Christ before honoring any elder. Right? In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of elect angels, right? don't prejudge, don't show partiality. In other words, the pursuit really is the honor of Christ before honoring any elder. Um, that's the pursuit. Elders are just men, servants of God who serve under the authority and rule of Christ. Honor Christ before them. Verse 22, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. When Paul says, don't be hasty in the laying on of hands, I think he's saying here, uh, don't be quick to put somebody in that position. Don't be quick to uh, place them in that role. We've noted Timothy has had this journey of, of the laying on of hands and, and, and giftedness recognized by others and so forth. And, and he's, so he's saying to them, like, don't, don't be quick to rush into that. In other words, honor the position of elder by not placing a man there too quickly. That's the point. Whether they're young in their faith or whatever it might be, um, don't place them there too quickly. In chapter 3, verse 6, one of the qualifications we noted for an elder is that he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So be careful of how quickly you put someone in that role. One of our safeguards for that is that someone must be among us in our church body here for three years before they are to be considered for the role of elder. Paul says, Timothy, nor take part in, their, in the sins of others, right? Don't join in if others are sinning. Um, address the elders sinning while keeping guard on your own heart. Similar to Galatians 6.1, which tells us when we see a brother or sister in sin, we are to restore them gently and being careful of our own hearts. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water. I think Paul's um, concern for Timothy here of keeping himself pure perhaps just spawns a thought in Paul of like, eh, and Timothy's got some health struggles. And so, by the way, Timothy, um, don't drink only water. Take some wine as a medicinal agent to help care for uh, your ailments. We talked about that 
a while back when we talked about alcohol. But so he's, he's just being mindful. He's like, hey, not only take care of yourself spiritually, guard your heart, but take care of yourself physically. It's, that's why it's in parentheses and probably most of your translations like, hey, here's a side note. Timothy, I remember, like, you're hurting. Take some, take some wine to help you. Verse 24, the sins of some people are conspicuous, meaning obvious, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. What's Paul getting at here? He's saying, well, um, listen, there's a need for accountability. Um, the reality is some sins of people are obvious. Going before them to judgment, right? They, they will hold, be held accountable for that. The sins of others appear later, meaning they will appear at the judgment. Um, things we may not know now. And we've had some very unfortunate examples of that among church leaders um, and so on, and I'm not going to name anybody specifically, uh, but throughout history there's been examples of that, and even in some cases where it's not until after a pastor or uh, you know, a teacher has died that certain things come out about their life. Um, here's the deal. As the church body... We, we ought not to, right? We, and this is not the perspective of our elders, nor ought to be the perspective among one another. We don't, we don't relate to each other in a way where we're looking for sin around every corner. Right? We don't go looking for sin in someone's life. God is the ultimate judge. And in one sense, we rest in the fact that even though we may not see something in someone's life, they will ultimately be held accountable to God for that, right? And so let's not, let's, we talked about it in a way of, of not being a ministry of rebuke, but of encouragement um, a couple of weeks ago. A ministry of rebuke is that which is just looking for sin, ready to pounce. That, that's not the way of grace toward one another. But when sin is made known, when sin is revealed, yes, Right? Let's seek to address it together in confession, in restoration, embracing God's forgiveness, and pressing on, right? Um, and the same is true for good works, Paul says. Some are known. Uh, some that uh, are not cannot remain hidden. God will honor uh, faithfulness to him in good works. Listen, we share stories here. Uh, oftentimes, we tell you of things that are happening lives that have been impacted by various aspects of our ministry. And I just want you to know, I, I hope you understand, that's not out of a heart of pride or of, of gloating in any way. Uh, there is encouragement in stories of transformation. Uh, there's joy that is found in hearing of what God is doing. Um, and that ought not to ever be done in a way of gloating. Um, God will honor who needs to be honored, right? Just as he will judge and hold accountable those who need to be held accountable. Uh, so uh, let's be a ministry that celebrates God's goodness, that, uh, that addresses sin. And as I, my last point here to share with you, is just honor the judgment of God, right? As we, let's honor the judgment of God, both in matters of sin and in matters of reward for faithfulness. Honor the judgment of God above all else. Rest in that. Uh, and we do as a body of Christ. We're going to finish with a time of communion, and uh, we're going to have a couple songs as we serve the elements. Um, uh, communion representing the body of Christ. And as we think about the judgment of God, that final point, what will that judgment be based upon? The gospel. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Those who have received and placed their faith in the work of Christ upon the cross and Him alone uh, will receive that blessing of eternal life in Him. So today, the contemplation for you is this, as we partake in this time. One, if you are a follower of Christ and your faith is found in Jesus Christ and you have been born again, you testify of that personal relationship this is a time, one, for you to remember 
kind of a solemn aspect of that, but it's also time to celebrate. It's time to celebrate Christ's provision in your life for the forgiveness of sin. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're not sure about that personal relationship with Jesus, you don't know if you have been born again in Christ, made alive in Him, uh, and you may not say it those ways, but if you're wondering, like, do I, am I a Christian? Am I saved? Um, you've never had the opportunity to bow your heart before Christ and humbly confess Him as your Savior and believe in what He's done for you upon the cross. Today can be your day. Today can be your day. And um, we would celebrate that for sure. Um, so it's a time for us to consider and contemplate our relationship with God. And if you don't know you have a relationship with Jesus, we would ask you to just let the elements pass by, and that's totally fine. Nobody's going to look at you funny for that or judge you for that. Um, just a way for us to say, hey, where am I with Christ and, uh, and what he's done for me? Let me pray for us. We'll pass the elements, and you can take those elements at your own uh, time during these two songs as you desire. Father, we thank you for your love. Thank you for the wonderful hope we have in Christ. Thank you for the guidance we have of your word today that helps us know and understand um, the role of elder as you have given it to us, as you have established in your church. The blessing of that, the accountability of that, may we as a church body do well to honor that. May we do well to honor it because we want to honor Christ who honored us by humbly coming taking on the form of a servant, the scripture says, and dying. The one who had absolutely no sin, dying to pay the price for our sin, my sin. May our hearts be eternally grateful. And out of that gratitude, may we seek to live faithfully in pursuit of godliness, that which represents you well on this earth. May we honor you above all else. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.